Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. I was born in a Christian house. My parents got saved a couple of years before I was born. They used to have small groups at that church. So my grandpa opened his house for uh, one of these Bible studies, these small groups. They started with like two families and eventually by the end of two months, uh, there were over 90, 95 people. So the church, when they saw this, they were like, you know what, uh, let's just plant a church because you guys are already a church. So um, they started the church. My grandpa became the pastor. My dad became the worship leader. And when I was born, it's obvious that I was going to f- follow music. Um, my memories from my childhood, it was just like Sunday school and like running around with all the kids from church. And um, when I turned seven years old, um, I get sexually abused by somebody in church. And I changed things. Um, first of all, like, I didn't quite understood what happened. Uh, I was a kid. For me, it was something that I, I didn't tell anybody. I kept my mouth shut. I never said anything. And um, later on, as I kept growing up, I... Um, I made myself think that it was just a dream, that it was just a nightmare. And I thought it was, uh, for some reason I thought it was until I run, um, I run into this person again. And that day I knew, no, this, this really happened because of this person's behavior and how this person was talking to me. And when I turned 12 years old, I started getting suicidal and I started getting all these thoughts like, you don't matter, you're not loved, nobody likes you, nobody loves you. Um, and that's heartbreaking for a kid to think like that. You know, it's a very early age to be thinking about, you know what, you should just end it, you know. That was, that uh, kept going for a while. And then when I turned 15 years old, um, I get suicidal again. But this time I, um, I started to cut myself. That was a way of me of like finding an escape or getting attention. I don't know. It just happened. Around that time, I was struggling a lot with rejection and struggling a lot with um, depression. And I felt like I've never fit anywhere. Uh, I was judged and uh, rejected by people in church because of the way I look and the way I, I am and all the music I like and all that. And I was also rejected outside of the church because I was a Christian kid. Like, oh, don't talk to that guy because he's really weird. Um, (laughs) So I never fit. I felt like I never fit anywhere. Um, I got this fury, this hate towards church. And I was like, no, no, never again. I hate church. I hate it. I hate church. I just don't, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. I hate it. Oh, I eventually came here to uh, came here to Billings, Montana, uh, 
to do a, a really awesome leadership program internship. It's called the One High Warriors, and that program challenged me in a lot of ways. That program helped me in a lot of ways, and that's how I got connected with people here in Faith Chapel, in the community. When I went back to Mexico, I go back to Mexico for a couple of years. I started dealing with all these depression and for the third time in my life I started being suicidal again I felt this horrible guilt because now it's like how how did I end up in this dark place again after all these years after all this training and how did I came back to this place so I remember I was real with the Lord and I just sat down and started praying like I haven't prayed in a, in a while Lord I'm so sorry and this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. I need help. I need help. I need your intervention. And I can't do it without you. And miraculously, <laughs> it wasn't even a week. In a matter of a couple of days, I just got a call from one of my mentors. Uh, I haven't talked to him in, in a long time. And the first thing he says when I pick up the phone is like, I don't know what's happening with you. I don't know, what's, I don't know what you're going through. Uh, the Lord knows and he's asking me to bring you back so I'm just being obedient uh, I already bought your tickets and see you next week and I was like what what really <laughs> um, in a very miraculously way in a very miraculously way I just came back to Billings uh, the very first thing that Pastor Yas told me was you know what face to face he told me let's work this out together I'll, I'll be with you every, every step of the way. Let's work this out together. And the Lord started working in my life again. And I feel like he brought me to this restoration where all this bitterness, all this hate just vanished. Eventually, I got hired at Faith Chapel. I got hired here. And uh, it's ironic that I used to hate church. And I was like, I don't want anything to do with it. And... Now here I am, and it's one of the best things that I've ever had in my life. Uh, now that I look back and I look to all those scars and all those things, like for me, I think that my scars are my testimonies. And I'm glad that the Lord can use those scars to heal all people, to talk, to speak to all the people. No matter what's happening, the Lord is always there for you. Hey, we're in week two of a series that we're calling Scars. And last week, if I could just kind of do a brief reconnection with what we did last week, we, we called it this, we called it a scarred savior, a scarred savior. And we looked at two really fascinating passages in the New Testament. The first one was from John chapter 20, where Jesus has been crucified and then resurrected. And he appears to his disciples and particularly he appears face to face with a man named Thomas, who's one of his disciples. And here's, I want you to just think of this. This is the risen Jesus, dead to life. And he still has scars. He looks at Thomas and he says, Thomas, I have conquered death. But if you need help in your faith, you could put your fingers where the nails went and you could put your hand into the scar in my side where a Roman soldier pierced me with a spear. 
And it's just this concept that Jesus, he's scarred. He understands rejection. He understands being overrun and overcome. He, like all the pain and he carries on his body even when resurrected, the scars of suffering. But that does not mean that he is a victim. Scars actually testify this, that he is the victor. And when he looks at his scars, when he shows us his scars, it tells me that God empathizes with me, that God understands pain, that Jesus has experienced everything that I could ever experience and still overcome. The second passage of scripture was from the book of Revelation chapter five, where the apostle John is having this supernatural vision of heaven. And when he looks to heaven, it's just one little phrase. He says, then I looked and I saw the lamb, capital L, the lamb who looked as if he had been slain standing in the middle of the throne. So John sees this picture of heaven, the majesty of heaven, the the glory of heaven. And there's Jesus who still looks like a lamb who has been slain, but his being slain, what he suffered here on planet earth did not disqualify him, did not minimize him. Where is he standing? in the middle of the throne. That the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who came and conquered sin and death, bears scars, but his scars tell the story of a victory that was won. And his scars have not gone away. Why? So that he can appear to you and I in the midst of our wounds and our pain and say, you're not the only one. I've been there with you and I want to show you my scars and tell you that healing and restoration is possible. That being a victim is not the end of the road. That you can move from being victimized to being a victor because you serve a scarred savior. Now here's what I'd like to do this week. I want us to talk about sharing our scars. Okay, sharing our scars. Here's the challenge is oftentimes in... um, well, I think this would be culture in general, probably North American culture, but church culture, we can be kind of ashamed of our scars, right? I've got one scar on my body. It's unmentionable for many reasons. One is because it was my pure stupidity that put it there, right? She's like, if I told you the story, you'd be like, you were an idiot. I'm like, absolutely. I know, I know. So what we tend to do is we tend to hide our scars or minimize our scars. And the whole goal is this, is you will be wounded in life. It is inevitable, but the goal is this, is that wounds start to heal and eventually become a scar. But if wounds stay open, if it's always a wound, if I'm wounded by something that happened in my childhood or happened in a tragic experience I had later in life, if that's still a wound, a wound, if you carried an open physical wound on your body, is vulnerable, isn't it? It's vulnerable to infection and it's painful. A scar is a wound that's been healed and it's no longer painful, but it does tell a story. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who, um, as we read this, I just, if you can, I want you to build an image in your mind of what this guy's body and soul must have looked like. This is towards the end of his ministry. For over 25 years, he's been traveling throughout the Roman Empire. 
and he has been planting churches. He's gone from Spain all the way through what we call Turkey today, up north. Like he is so passionate about telling everyone about who Jesus is, but the problem is it wasn't like easy. On these three journeys around the known world, he experiences more difficulty than you and I can imagine, and he accumulates both in his soul and on his body scars. So here's what's happening in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul feels like he needs to defend himself because one of the places he had traveled was the city of Corinth and he started this church and now new people have come in. Paul's now traveled to another part of the Roman empire and they say this, they say, you know, Paul, boy, he's not a very legitimate apostle. He's not eloquent. Apparently Paul was a really boring speaker. We have proof of this in the book of Acts. He says he preached, and this is how Luke records it. Paul went on and on and on three times into the night and some kid who's sitting in the window falls asleep, falls out, breaks his neck and dies. This is not preach some boring sermons, but never that bad. Never that bad. The good news is Paul goes down and heals him, okay? So <laughs> that's the, if you're a boring speaker, you better have the gift of healing as well. Or you're going to kill somebody. So they say Paul's not eloquent. They say Paul, like he, he's, he's not like aggressive enough. So what these new people who, who are, they call themselves super apostles. So they're like, they're highly educated. They're very eloquent. And here's what they want everybody to do. They want everybody to go back to the Old Testament Hebrew law and keep it. And they say, you know, Paul just tells you that the cross was enough and there's grace for sin, but we think you need to do more. We need, you need to try harder. And men who are Greek, you need to be circumcised as adults and you need to keep the Old Testament laws and rituals. And Paul keeps saying, absolutely not. So this is his defense when his critics, as he's writing to the people in Corinth, he's saying, listen, those guys think they're super apostles. They're better speakers than I am, all that. But I, I'm going to boast here for a second. And I want you to see what he boasts in. He's going to boast in his wounds and his scars. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. He says, are they servants of Christ? This is what he can say emphatically. I am more. Like I, I've surrendered it all. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently. How many people can say, oh, I've been in prison so much more than you. He wears it as a badge of honor because he went to prison not for crimes. He went for pr to prison because he was telling people about Jesus and people got upset about it. He goes like, I've been in prison more than anybody I know, man. Locked up, I know how to do it. Yep, put them on. Like, that happened to me all the time. I've been flogged more severely. We'll talk about that in a moment. And been exposed to death again and again. Now the specifics. Five times... I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Now, what is that? So the Roman Empire would not allow any of the lands they occupied to actually execute people. Only Rome could execute a criminal. And so here's what they deemed. The Jews had developed a form of beating. So you take a whip 
and oftentimes there were things on the end of the whip and they thought 40, 40 lashes could very well be fatal and so the law was you could never lash anybody more than 39 times because that was as close to being beaten to death as a human being could make it. That one more, that 40th, very well might kill you. And Paul says, I received from the Jews 39 lashes five times. I, I, I don't wanna gross you out, but I want you to think about that. The first time you recover, your back would be covered with scar tissue. It would take months to heal. And then the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time, and the fifth time. Three times, I was beaten with rods. This was, I'd take sticks, and again, it was to beat somebody as close to the point of death as possible. You're talking broken bones, you're talking out of uh, dislocated joints, you're talking like significant physical trauma. Once, I was pelted with stones. So you can read about this, other places, they were gonna stone him to death. They were actually gonna break the Roman law and they thought they killed him and they walked away and somehow Paul, man, like shook it off and stood up and like hobbled out. So near death experiences multiple, multiple times. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Comfort, convenience, none of that. Now, Paul's gonna make a transition. These are all physical things that have happened to him that have some internal ramifications, but now he's gonna speak about what's happened inside. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all of the churches. He has started all these churches around the Roman Empire and it would be a year, two years, three years before he could go back and visit and he knew they were under attack and he had this sense of responsibility. He was their pastor and he's, he gets letters that there's this crisis happening in this church and there's this persecution breaking out. He goes, I feel that. I feel that so deeply. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. He's saying, like the people I know and love are, are suffering. And because I'm empathetic, I feel their suffering. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. I watch people make bad decisions and go in ways that are self-destructive and like it kills me inside, kills me inside. If I must boast, Paul's not gonna boast about his education. He's not gonna boast about how many churches he's planted. He's not gonna boast about how many people he's introduced to Jesus. He's not gonna boast that he has been the single-handed, most influential follower of Jesus up to this point. It's like, no questions asked. He's not gonna boast that, hey, by the way, I think when it's all said and done, they're gonna include my letters and it's gonna make up about two-thirds of the New Testament. He's not gonna boast in that. If I'm gonna boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. If I'm gonna to talk to anybody about anything, I'm gonna to point to my scars. 
I'm going to point to like all these things that you would look at. If you, if you just looked at his resume, what he listed, because he didn't list any of the churches he planted, right? <laughs> just like, oh, so you've been in prison the most, you've been beaten the most, attempted executions the most, you don't have a home, you have no financial stability. You'd kind of look at that and go like, loser, right? Like, you have not done well, my friend. He goes, if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in all these things. That look, like weakness. Jesus is willing to share his scars. Paul is willing, rather than defend himself and talk about all the things he's accomplished, he says, if I boast in one thing, it's gonna be all the scars that I've accumulated inside and outside. There's something about sharing your scars which is transformational to others. Let me give you just three things that happen when we are willing to share our scars. Number one, shared scars tell us that we are not alone. If I don't cover it up, but if I'm willing to show my scars, I'm willing to talk about things. Here's what it communicates to people. It communicates that you're not the only one because this is one of the things that sin does. Whether it was something that was perpetrated onto you as Abraham's story or something that you personally did, here's what happens. The enemy of God reaches in and he begins to communicate this. What has happened to you, no one else could understand. What has happened to you is so shameful. You should cover it up. You should hide it. You should never expose it. You should do your best to cover that wound and not allow it to heal. What has happened to you? You're the only one. You're the only one who's made that decision. You're the only one who's ever accumulated decision after decision after decision that caused people to lose all trust in you. You're the only one who's been addicted in that way. You're the only one who's ever suffered in this capacity. And here's what Paul does. Here's what Jesus does. Let me show you my scars. You're not alone. You ever had a hard life? Paul goes, you think that you're the only one? You think that God's punishing you? You think that you should experience shame because of your prison? I'll show you my scars. Because when we see each other's scars, we realize I'm not alone. It defeats that lie where the enemy says, no one else would understand. No one else has been through this. You're the only one. This is so shameful. You should cover this up. When we develop the ability to boast in weakness, as Paul did, rather than boast in our strengths, it creates a community where people go like, I'm not the only one where we can gather groups together, people throughout this church who are like, man, I've got this thing and I've been hiding it forever and you're willing to show your scar, so I'm joining that group and we're gonna sit down and I want you to tell me how you move from a wound to a scar because I can see the same mark on your body, but it's not a wound, it's a scar in your life. Teach me. Scars tell us that we are not alone. Here's the second thing that shared scars do. Shared scars give me hope. 
give me hope because if I've been dealing with a wound, something that happened to me, something that I did, self-inflicted, inflicted upon me, and when I see someone who is no longer carrying the wound but now carrying a scar, it gives me hope. It gives me hope. Last night after service, I, I talked to um, Pam Strong. Some of you guys would know her. Pam Strong <clears throat> leads our grief share. She lost two sons and her husband in a span of just a few years. And um, when you've lost somebody you love, when you've lost two children, when you've lost one child, you wonder, is there a hope? Like, will this always be this gaping wound? Here's what Pam does. She sits down every year, year after year, and walks people through grief. And when they look at Pammy, they see this. They see a woman who has scars but not a wound. And you think, there's hope for me. There is hope for me. I don't know how God heals that type of grief. I don't know how you get through it, but she got through it. And when you look at her life, you think there's hope for me, whatever I face. Shared scars create hope. We realize if God can do it in you, he could do it in me. Here's the third thing that shared scars do. They remind us of what God has done. So as I'm venturing through life, here's what I wish. I wish that there were wounds in my life. I wounded people. I learned from them. I never did it again. Unfortunately, (laughs) you give it a few years and I'll probably find myself in a similar place. But if I can look at the scars on my body, here's what I remember. Wait a minute. Jesus healed me in the past. And he took the wound and made a scar. He can do it again. It causes gratefulness in my life. It's a sense of worship. How is Abe ever able to tell that story? That's very, very vulnerable. Here's why. It's because he knows that there are people in the room who have been through the same thing. And it's something you don't know how to deal with and you want to hide it. And he says this, listen, I can talk about the scar. And I hope me talking about the scar helps you to realize it's okay. And I can talk about this scar because it's me pointing to a God who redeemed and saved a little boy who was violated. This is the story about God's intervention is healing. And if I face darkness like Abe has, if I face moments where I don't know if I should live anymore, let Abe's story tell you this. He just shared his scars with you. You have hope. You one day could tell a story and God's the hero. Shared scars. Let's not spend our lives hiding them. Let's be like Jesus. Let's be like Paul and share our scars. This moves us to the last verse I want to read. This is from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 17. And um, this is another place where Paul's having to defend himself. The, The church in Galatia is experiencing all these people trying to argue with, you know, Paul's not enough. And he just, it's this one sentence. Now he's older now. He's older than what we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is what he says. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So he's referring to his own body, his soul, 
And what does he call these marks? Remember, we just read of all the trauma he'd experienced, the internal and the external. And now he's renamed all of this trauma. What does he call it? The marks of Jesus. I want to pause for a moment. This word marks, uh, this is actually a Greek word also used in Latin that you, you might be familiar with. The word marks is stigmata, stigmata. If you have a background in Roman Catholicism at all, you probably have heard these accounts of stigmata. I know very little about it. I I, I can't speak to it whatsoever. But modern day understanding of stigmata is this, is that occasionally like a person or often a statue, a statue of Mary, something like that. A stigmata is when they begin to bleed from the places where Jesus bled. So bleeding from a crown of thorns or bleeding from the wrists where nails would be or the, the, the ankles and legs where the nails would be or from the side. And occasionally there's been this, like there's a stigmata, meaning something is bleeding in the way that Jesus bled. That is not what this means today. Here's what stigmata meant. Stigmata in the first century, the way that Paul uses this, means a scar or a brand, a brand. So, you know who carried stigmata? One third of the Roman Empire were slaves. And there were some slaves that were slaves because they were indebted. So, in um, Roman culture, there was no option to go bankrupt. But if you owed too much money to your um, creditors, you became their slave until it was worked off and free. But every other Roman, you were born a slave and you had no help no way out. And so they received a stigmata. Um, If you remember the movie Gladiator, Roman soldiers on their right shoulder or on their right cheek, there'd be a brand. It'd be the imperial brand upon their body or their face, the stigmata, so everyone would know that they belong to Rome. A slave would be branded, the stigmata, on their right shoulder or on their right cheek. It was just a statement that you were owned. You were the property of someone else. This is the exact word that Paul uses. He says, I don't want anybody to mess with me because I bear on my body the stigmata, the brand, the scar of Jesus. Here's my last point. Our scars can be renamed. And we can rename them the marks of Jesus, the marks of Jesus. So here's what often happens. Paul didn't say this scar is related to this person in this city and this betrayal. He renamed all of his scars. But but here's what you and I tend to do. Like I, I could show you a scar and you might say, Tell me about that. Tell me about that hurt. And you say, this, this is, is from a step-parent. And if I had to identify the wound, I would tell you about feelings of rejection or not being accepted or a harshness or mistreatment or even abuse. Or you might say, this, this right here, this is from an ex. And man, this, this wound is about betrayal. It's about my feelings of insecurity. It's about, I call this wound, I'm not safe. I can't trust anybody again. You could point to anything that you've been through. And oftentimes what we do is we name it by the trauma that we experienced. 
Maybe it's something you did on your own, a series of bad decisions, and you look at that and you're like, that is my deepest regret. This mark is where I ruined my life. And I feel like I can never make up for it and no one will ever trust me again. So we name our wound according to the pain that we've experienced. And Paul says this, on my body, I've renamed all those wounds. I now call them the marks of Christ. Now, how does that work? I think this is how it works. It's when I look at that wound that I've no longer hidden, but I've said, Jesus, I don't wanna walk around a wounded person because as we learned last week, wounded people wound others. But I invite you in these feelings of rejection and abandonment and I'll never be accepted or loved. I invite you in and could we rename this wound? Not name it a parental wound, not name it an abandoned wound, but would you turn it into a scar and could this become the mark of Jesus? And when I tell people about it, would I be able to say this? This scar right here, this scar started as a wound and it was associated with a person and an event and a tragedy and a trauma, but that's not what it's called anymore. This scar, this scar I call this, I learned that Jesus can save and heal. This is the scar that reminds me that people might abandon me, but he will never abandon me. This scar, this one was about my own tragic decisions and my failures. I don't call it that anymore. This is the scar. I call it, I call it Jesus' scar where he taught me that there is nothing that I can do to outrun his love. This is the scar where I learned what mercy is. This scar, oh, this is the mark of Jesus. This is, this is the point where it was a wound and it had somebody's name attached, but now here's what I call it. I call it, I am now more than a conqueror, that he took this dead heart, this, this piece of me that I thought could never be revived, and he's resurrected me. I learned that God is good. I learned that he provides. Oh, this scar, oh, this is from my financial bankruptcy but I don't call it bankruptcy anymore. I call it when I learned that he provides everything I need and I can trust him. Paul says, I've renamed all my scars. They're now the stigmata of Jesus. Every single one is a brand. It's a scar that reminds me of who he is. Rename, oh, please, I... I I'm not saying this insensitively. I understand that this is a process. Please hear me, but begin to talk. People, take, take the wound that has someone's name attached to it, that has a decision attached to it, and let Jesus begin to heal that so it can become a mark of Jesus. A mark where you learned about what healing is. This scar, I learned what forgiveness means. It's not a wound that I call distrust. It's a scar that I call forgiveness. A couple of months ago, <clears throat> we had a men's event and uh, Mark Johnson invited Dave Dravecki. Some of you recognize his name. He came and sp spoke to us and uh, Dave Dravecki, I, I, like, I was so excited to hear him. He pitched for the Padres. I'm kind of a Padres fan. And this guy told a story. Now, here's what you need to know about Dave Dravecki. 
He's sitting in front of us and he is missing from about pretty close to the beginning of his collarbone all the way down, had to reconstruct everything, rib cage. So his left arm is completely gone and a big portion of the left side of his body. Dave Trevecki was left-handed pitcher. And he told this story about boyhood dreams of playing in the big leagues and moving on into high school and getting to a little college and then the unbelievable moment where he was drafted into, the, into MLB, years of struggling in the minors and then, and then he holds up, this is not it, but it was his baseball card. When he finally is playing in the big leagues for the Padres, becomes an all-star, pitches in the World Series, And he's like, this was it. This is his baseball card. This is a picture of me. This is everything I ever dreamt of. And then this tragic experience where he's like, can't throw any longer. Oh, he's got cancer. There's been cancer that's developed in his left arm, his throwing arm. Goes through surgery, three years of rehab, works his way back into the majors, pitches one game, the second game, as he throws. I still remember this clear as day. I think it was 1985. He's throwing, I'll watch it on ESPN, on Antenna TV. He throws, his arm shatters, he's rolling on the ground. Turns out, cancer has returned. Five different surgeries. They cut off at the elbow, they cut off mid, they cut off at the shoulder, they continue to cut off. Years of surgeries. The single greatest sermon illustration I've ever seen in my life. Remember, he's got one hand. He holds up his baseball card. He says, I lost the side of me that made me famous, that gave me a sense of identity, helped me make a living. And he holds his baseball card in his mouth and in his right arm. And he rips it in two. He says, now I'm half the man. And I lost the part of me that was most important. So here's what Dravecki could have done. You could tell a story about cancer. You could tell a story about loss. But he had renamed his scarred body And here's what he told us after that. He goes, when I was half the man that I was, was the first time I ever fell on my knees and surrendered to Jesus because I didn't have the capacity or the ability to provide for my family. I'm functioning a fragment of who I was. And when he told his story, I loved it. It was this, he renamed the story. It's not a cancer story. It's not a lost story. It's a story about Jesus. And now he spent the last 30 years traveling around the world telling people that there's more to life than being a major league baseball pitcher. That there is hope, that there's somebody to serve. That's it. It, I I could tell you about a lot of wounds in my life. Just one comes to mind really quickly. I'm a third grade boy and I have a teacher who hates me. And he is convinced that I am dumb as a rock and he lets me know that. And he confirms that through an entire year. He mocks me and makes fun of me. Doesn't matter how hard I work on something, it's gonna get a D. I left that boy's, that man's classroom thinking, 
I will never achieve, I am dumb. And I had a new mantra, D's get degrees, right? And so from third grade on, man, D's get degrees. I decided to go to college, have to go on probation because D's don't get you into college. They may get you a high school diploma, but they don't get you into college. And I just accepted this, right? This, this mistreatment by a third grade teacher. And I wholeheartedly believe that I, I didn't have what it took. I meet this professor in my freshman philosophy class and he has me write a paper. I write my first paper in college and he writes at the top of my paper, you have a remarkable mind. I'm 18 years old, I'm in the dorms. I read it and I burst into tears. Because my wound was, I had a teacher who told me I was inadequate and that was an open festering wound from third grade to college. And I had no way to heal that and I believed it and I, that, that was the wound, I defined it. Nate's an idiot. And it's not a story about a third grade teacher anymore. Here's what the story is. It's a mark of Jesus. It's the story of a man who saw something in me. I bet it was a terrible paper. But he, he was used by Jesus to write a new chapter in my life. To eliminate a lie and expose something better and more truthful. And when you look back on that, like I, I could still wander around with the wound. But it's not a wound, it's a scar now. And the scar is, Jesus used a guy named Bill Buckingham to convince me that I was not dumb as a rock. Give your wound a new name. Let him be the marks of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, oh, Man, I think all my friends listening and all my friends sitting in this room, Lord, I know that life can be incredibly, incredibly difficult. And I know there are wounds that we are hiding because we're so ashamed. But we have Jesus, the Lamb of God, looking as if he had been slain, who is standing in the middle of the throne. And we have the Apostle Paul, who says, if I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses, and I'm going to rename my wounds. They're not named by the trauma. Their new name is a stigmata of Jesus, a brand, a mark teaches me that Jesus is the God who heals, that he is the one who shows mercy, that he has forgiven me. And Lord, I pray for all of us that as we come to you, there will be movement in the wounds we've experienced, that we would be willing to show our, our scars so that wounds can begin to heal. I wanna pray for friends who have covered and carried things that have ached and left, to, uh, left us in a vulnerable, vulnerable spot with the Jesus the scar Jesus who came to earth to bind up the wounds of human beings. Would you begin in this moment, in the days ahead, to change our wounds into scars and to rename them? In your name we pray this, amen, amen. Hey everybody, thank you so much. A couple of quick thoughts. If you need to know more about Jesus, there are people up front you can talk to and they'd love to pray for you. Anything you've got. If you're online, 
click the button. If you need a Bible, they're available at the Welcome Center. Otherwise, as you go, be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus. God bless you guys. You're loved. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.